So, Andrew, yesterday, lawyer Neil Katyal tweeted after the decision striking down the um, concealed carry permit law in New York after the Supreme Court struck down that law. Neil tweeted, quote, going to be very weird if Supreme Court ends a constitutional right to obtain an abortion next week, saying it should be left to the states to decide right after it just imposed a constitutional right to concealed carry a firearm, saying it cannot be left to the states to decide. Uh, Neil here looking for some sort of, I guess, uh, consistency, uh, internal logic to what the Supreme Court is doing here, which is the wrong place to look if you want to know what is motivating these awful decisions that we've particularly that we've seen this week. And I think your new piece over at Lever News, Andrew, provides a nice corrective to Neil, who Probably shouldn't be confused considering he's argued before the Supreme Court uh, on behalf of major corporations to continue child slavery. So he should know what motivates the Supreme Court. But at the end of the day, what's really uh, at play here is money. Lots and lots and lots of dark money that helped create this reactionary court that we're living with today. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not about logic or consistency. It is uh, about ideology and uh, you know the brute force of uh, of dark money in this country. Um, you know, so our reporting looks at um, a man uh, named Leonard Leo, um, who people might know from the Federalist Society. He served as uh, Donald Trump's judicial advisor, helping make these Supreme Court picks. Um, in picks down down the line. Uh, but he also um, has for, for many years now um, led this dark money network um, called the Judicial Crisis Network um, that exists to, um, to build an echo chamber um, it, to, to, to support um, conservative judicial nominees. And, you know, these, the, the Leo and the people who are part of his network are, are you know, hardcore ideologues, uh, like true believers. Um, you know, I, I think they're mostly Catholic um, in, in a very, very conservative uh, sect of Catholicism. Um, and, you know, they, they believe in uh, that, that abortion should be illegal. And that's been their mission for, you know, for really the last few decades. Um, and, you know, they've also helped uh, work to, to, to tear apart the regulatory uh, state as well. And this is an organization that was uh, formed in 2005. The name, the Judicial Crisis Network, you want to know, like, you know, what was the crisis that that the that they were facing when this was formed? And this was formed in 2005. And I guess the crisis was uh, slight opposition from Democrats to some of George W. Bush's Supreme Court nominees. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, so it sounds like, you know, the group the group mostly started to, to help confirm uh, John Roberts and then Sam Alito to the court. Um, and, and, and yeah, I guess they were at the time facing some pushback. But, you know, the truth is, as as they have built this network, um, they, they've they've seen very little opposition from Democrats at all. Um, and, you know, both while like they've been building this network and also kind of seeding the, uh, you know, conservative uh, nonprofit ecosystem that then also helps support these judges um, and helps uh, to, to, to put, you know, cases before the judges, um, including including the abortion one. 
Well, the the real judicial crisis is uh, as as Bush administration connoisseurs will remember is that he couldn't get Harriet Myers confirmed, right? Is that is that was the judicial that crisis? That was the here? crisis. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't get Harriet Myers a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court, that's a crisis in governance, right there. Yeah, and and, and, and to be clear, there was. If I recall correctly, there was opposition across the board to Myers because she was the White House counsel, uh, but had never, ever served as a judge, not even a traffic yeah. court judge. A traffic court judge, I suppose you could say, would be uh, more qualified or whatever. But you know, I mean, hey, as we have seen this week, they just sort of wing it. So maybe she was qualified after all. And, and that was, <laughs> they, they, you know, they just sort of make it up as they go along. I mean, if you dump enough money into it, you can do it. And maybe that's the lesson that this group learned. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, we have seen it with some of the other court picks, right? Like, like uh, Brett Kavanaugh was like another like Bush flunky lawyer before he was appointed to a judgeship. Um, you know, this, this network helped get uh, Amy Barrett, uh, confirmed, you know, to to a judgeship before she was then put on the court. Not not altogether that long before she was put on the court. Um, but yeah, so so this group really serves as kind of a breeding ground for uh, for judgeships um, and and helping helping install them and then advance them up to the Supreme Court. The ironic thing about Myers is that she could have been sort of she could have followed the Kavanaugh path and. Uh, Bush could have appointed her to the D.C. Circuit, which is an incredibly powerful position, and people wouldn't have batted an eyelash. Mm-hmm. What is the... It, it is kind of, um, you know... It seems like the only consistency between people... The the internal consistency of, of people like Leonard Leo in terms of, like... On the one hand, we hate abortion. On the other hand, we hate um, regulation. Is that they just they just want to move backward to the nineteenth century? Do you see any other yeah. sort of logic there? Yeah, yeah. So there's some some profiles of Leo that sort of um, hinted that where basically conservatives realized they had kind of lost the broader culture war. Um, maybe you could say that's not quite true now, but um, they, they, they sensed that they had lost culturally and that it was time to really start bringing these cases through the courts, that that was an area where they could really, really affect change. And your report then documents several cases that have been ruled, particularly just this week, and the you know, where Neil is looking for the internal logic here, you have identified the precise funding sources behind a lot of these decisions so far. Why don't we, I guess, run down a few of them? Sure. Um, yeah, so so the way that, that it's worked is, um, you know, Leo's network is the kind of biggest funder of uh, the Republican Attorneys General Association, which is, you know, works to elect Republican AGs at the state level. Um, and they also serve as kind of a policy hub too. Um, they have like a, a sister nonprofit that that um, helps basically organize um, other AGs to like sign on to certain challenges to laws um, and to uh, file file am- amicus briefs too. 
um, to, to help kind of provide justification for for the the cases that they're they're advancing. Um, and so, you know, if you look at the abortion case, you know, um, it's it's called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Um, Thomas Dobbs, the state uh, the the state kind of uh, health official in in Mississippi, is not involved in this case whatsoever. It, it, the case was actually brought um, by uh, the Republican AG in Mississippi. Um, Lynn Fitch, who who really led this case, um, and you know she has been backed by Raga, um, and and you know also got support from um, like basically two dozen uh, Republican AGs to to try to overturn Roe v. Wade, um, and you know they, the the case that they brought was is to uphold the Mississippi law that would ban abortion at 15 weeks, um, even in cases of, of rape or incest. So it's a really really extreme law. Um, and that's the case that they brought. Um, and, you know, if you look at who else is filing amicus briefs in this case, a whole slew of them are getting funded from from the Leo network, like the Susan B. Anthony list, um, Mike Pence's new group, Advancing American Freedom, um, you know, the Ethics and Public Policy Center, the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. Um, all of these groups are getting funded by the Leo network. Um, and so, you know, they're helping create this sort of uh, a appearance of uh, broad-based support for a very extremist position. Um, and, you know, clearly it worked. It's not just uh, the amicus briefs where uh, you can see this play out, too. It, it, in some cases, some of these dark money groups um, argue the cases themselves. Uh, you have the, uh, uh, what's it called, Pacific Legal Foundation, there was a case that, that it hasn't gotten to the Supreme Court yet. I, it's only gotten to the appellate court, which was sort of like the perfect sort of like um, shit soup of dark money groups because it involved the Federalist, uh, the magazine, where they were represented by all these uh, groups like Cato and anti-union groups. They were challenging the uh, the National Labor Relations Act because... Uh, ben Dominich uh, joked about how he wanted to send his any workers that unionized to the salt mines. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I guess, yeah, you can see it not just on the uh, on the amicus briefs, which are basically like, you know, it's 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 lobbying. It's like a fancy Latin word for we are lobbying for this. And you know that our money helped you get on the court. They're also, in some cases, talking to lawyers, uh, uh, hearing cases from lawyers um, who have also benefited from the same paymasters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the Republican attorneys general um, who are arguing these cases clearly backed by the Leo network. Um, you know, you look at one of the groups we flag here um, that, that that's involved in the West Virginia EPA case filing an amicus brief. Um, getting money from the Leo network. They're called the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Um, you know, they were like one of these groups that uh, sued to overturn the uh, the COVID um, pandemic eviction ban. Um, and, and, you know, there were a couple other groups too. And of course, some of these groups, I should say, get money from uh, the Coke, from the Coke network, from Charles Koch. Um, the New Civil Liberties Alliance is one of them. Um, but, you know, I think what we, what we saw in, in our reporting is just a very clear pattern of um, groups backed by the Leo network that are a, you know, trying to bring cases to the court and then b, 
filing these amicus briefs, yeah, these friend of the court briefs, effectively lobbying, saying like, you know, here's why you should overturn uh, the, these rules, and here's here's some like arguments for doing so. And in in some cases, uh, Leo is sort of the only name that you can attach to the money because it is funneled uh, through a black box, as your reporting stated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the Judicial Crisis Network is now known as the Concord Fund. It's sort of its parent organization. Um, but all of its money, or sorry, not all of its money, but like effectively half of its money in 2020 came from um, a, a new nonprofit created by Leo called the Rule of Law Trust. Um, and they donated, yeah, like $22 million to to this network in 2020. Um, and we don't know any of the donors to the Rule of Law Trust, um, but, you know, they're like donating literally in $20 million clips. So, you know, there's there's very few um, interests or individuals or entities that can really just throw that kind of money out out there to, to influence policy. And the truth is, this is like sort of a recurring pattern. Um, the Judicial Crisis Network has always had another seed funder that sort of exists to create this sort of like daisy chain funnel. It used to be called the Wellspring Committee. Um, but the point is to obscure the money, um, to obscure the money. And if, you know, if they ever got sued, like, well, who knows? <laughs> like, it all came from here. It all came from this one source. And no, we can't identify that either. <laughs> yeah. If we... I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, if I if I recall correctly, uh, donors trust has been tied to a lot of groups that have been responsible for uh, whipping up Islamophobia around the country. Um, so they have they have a connection to the Trumpist movement there, in addition to on the other end of uh, ramming through all these unpopular policy uh, decisions that are you know, being enacted by unelected officials. Yeah, yeah. And there, well, there's some reporting that Leo, um, one of his kind of main campaigns within the last you know decade or two was to, to stop the constru uh, construction of a mosque in New York City. I guess what was it, oh. the 9-11 mosque, like that it was like near, like somewhat near the World Trade Ground Zero Mosque. Yeah, yeah speaking, yeah, speaking yeah, of yeah. Bush era bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just total, total horseshit absolute horseshit but um the donors trust does give a lot of money to another one of these leo groups that's then kind of spreading the money around in the same way it's called the 85 fund um and they get a lot of money from donors trust they took in like 20 million from them um in, in 2020 these contributions seem to be producing results and wins, which would suggest that they'll keep coming in, if not grow, and that this project that uh, has succeeded in creating this reactionary court and succeeded in getting the cases it wants before the court and the rulings it wants from this court will get more powerful and just continue um, as long as this court exists and as long as Democrats don't or whoever don't do anything to to rein it in. I mean, uh, assuming you agree with that premise, where where do things go next? I know there's an EPA ruling still outstanding, um, but I mean, how how far can this go? Yeah, um, well, so there is the EPA ruling um, that's coming down, um, West Virginia versus EPA. It's organized by all of the Republican AGs, um, specifically the one in West Virginia, but it's backed, um, the case is directly backed by 17 other AGs. Um, and yeah, they're, 
and what that ruling would do, um, you know, the goal there is to basically say that the EPA cannot issue rules uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, that they can't lower carbon emissions, you know, amid uh, the climate crisis. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, you know, the, the arguments that they're using could, could potentially destroy um, really just a lot of agencies rulemaking capacity, um, not just the, not just the EPA. Um, and it, it could really, really, uh, you know, hamstring the federal government um, if, you know, if Democrats choose to allow it, right? Um, that's, that's, you know, another conversation um, that, you know, Democrats have done precisely nothing to, to, to stop this, to, to, you know, they, they, they're concerned still about, you know, upholding the legitimacy of an institution that clearly, you know, doesn't have any. And, well, SK and, and I have talked about, you know, the the uh, general counsel at the NLRB, Jennifer Abruzzo, and the moves she's made to try and make it easier for labor organizing in this country. And it's not inconceivable that this gets that that these uh, interpretations or you know regulatory moves get challenged and that it goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And once that happens, I think we know where six, three majority conservative majority would weigh in on on labor rights. And the um, what you're talking about with EPA versus uh, v West Virginia or West Virginia v EPA, I can never remember who's the uh, uh, petitioner and who's the respondent. But um, it's the if I if I understand it correctly, it's the non delegation doctrine, which basically says that um, it it it's a it's a theory that says that actually Congress doesn't even have the power. Um, to delegate this authority to an agency. And um, it's somewhat consistent with what's known as the Lochner era of the court when uh, referring to an infamous decision, which the, the Supreme Court said in, in the early 1900s that Congress cannot outlaw child labor. And... Uh, a funny thing is that when overturning Roe v. Wade on Friday, the majority said, actually, it's fine to overturn decisions because the court overturned Lochner, which was a bad decision. And it's looking like they're getting ready to do a, a Lochner 2.0 with like a different sort of branding. I don't know. I'm just yeah. going on a rant here. I, <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I got, I, I'm firing on various cylinders here, but... Uh, any any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the the what what the what conservatives are hoping for in that EPA case is that is that um, the Supreme Court says that uh, that actually Congress yeah can't delegate its kind of authority um, regulatory authority the way it has under the Clean Air Act, um, and that basically you know anytime uh, you know the, the the federal government wants to tackle you know, a new kind of uh, climate issue or pollutant, um, they have to go before, you know, or it needs to go through Congress. Yeah, Congress is going to have to pass legislation every time that, you know, that the government should regulate a certain uh, certain pollutant. And it's, you know, kind of a genuinely crazy concept because I think we know, like, what that looks like, right? Like, Congress won't pass anything. Um, and, you know, of course, this is all happening when we have, very very like exceedingly little time to actually address climate change in a meaningful way to reduce carbon emissions uh so that we all get to you know continue enjoying the this planet or at least 
enjoying living on this planet, uh, you know, and being able to go outdoors and, you know, not not facing really catastrophic weather related events all the time. Being able to go outdoors. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the, that'd be nice. Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. In in a double whammy, they'll probably say like, and actually uh, the DEA can still ban uh, new drugs that come up. You, you won't need Congress to, to ban a new drug when someone like alters slightly the uh, chemical composition of MDMA to, you know, make a certain body part feel warm and fuzzy or, I don't know. I'm I'm just ranting here. Uh, Andrew, you also uh, came out with another piece earlier this week uh, in which you traveled to a free health clinic in uh, Charleston, West Virginia. It's a a fairly long hike for you there. Uh, What motivated you to write this story? It's a very moving story, by the way, very touching. I'm curious what, uh, what inspired you to write this. Sure. Um, well, so I'd, I'd read a bunch of reporting on um, remote area medical clinics. Um, you know, they're also known as RAM, um, and they, they hold um, two and three day clinics around the country that where, um, you know, people are entitled to um, health, uh, dental and vision services uh, free of free of charge. Um, and anyone can go, um, you know, it's, it's really kind of designed to, to serve uh, people who are both um, who are either uninsured or underinsured. Um, and you know, it's it's a it's a pretty great organization, and they're doing um, you know some really strong work. And when when I saw that they um, were going to be in West Virginia, I was like, oh, I, I definitely got to go there. Um, and you know, I think we uh, it was driven by um, Joe Manchin last year. Um, you know, killed the Build Back Better bill, Democrats' agenda bill, um, specifically because, or in part because, he uh, didn't think that the government could afford to um, to cover uh, dental and vision services for uh, for seniors. Um, you know, obviously Medicare doesn't cover dental and vision. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans, you know, offer really crappy uh, dental and vision uh, care um, or in- insurance. And so, you know, I, I I wanted to see what it was like on the ground and what people were dealing with um, in, in his home state. And the, the clinic, by the way, was held um, like literally like a few miles from his, from his riverfront Charleston home. I, the, the, these clinics, the, um, remote area medical clinics, you note in your piece that they were founded in 1985 and originally designed to provide healthcare services to people living in inaccessible regions like the Amazon rainforest. But they quickly discovered, uh, that, this also applies to places in the United States. Uh, the nonprofit, quote, quickly started receiving requests to hold events in the United States because, let's be honest, getting health care in the U.S. for some people is just as difficult as trying to see a doctor in, like, remote areas of the Amazon rainforest. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, so they, they, they say that their biggest service is, is dental, um, followed by vision. And I think the very first Ram clinic in the U S was literally like, uh, what was like a, a dental chair in a truck, like in a pickup truck. Um, and you know, so they, what, what they find is that people really, really desperately need med- uh, need dental care. It's, it's the main driver. You know, it's something that people can live in just chronic pain with if it's not treated. Um, things get drastically worse if you don't, if you don't treat, uh, dental problems. 
So um, most insurance does doesn't cover dental. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Medicare doesn't cover dental. Uh, Medicaid doesn't really cover dental outside of extractions or emergencies. Um, you know, you might have dental insurance like like a private plan, but um, pri private dental plans just aren't are you know pretty pretty worthless when it comes to like actually big kind of surgeries and stuff. Um, because most of these plans, including uh, like Medicare Advantage plans, they come with um, like annual maximums of a few thousand dollars. So like once and, and cost sharing too. But so once uh, once your insurer pays like that maximum of like a thousand or two thousand dollars, you're, you're going to be paying for it after that. Um, but, you know, the people that we talked to in West Virginia, some of the people we focused on, like they just, you know, some, some of these people just don't have like health insurance at all. Um, or some of them are like on disability. Um, and so they, they just don't have um, the resources for dental care. And so, yeah, we, we I, I heard some really, really horrific stories just um, from, from people who, who are disabled, um, who just don't have the, the resources to, to take care of this stuff. And, and some of the people you were talking to, um, they basically perform oral surgery on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. This one, one man I spoke with, his name is Charles. Um, he drove like 50 miles there. Um, he, he'd only come because his wife like heard about the clinic, but he, he'd literally been, been taking out his own teeth with a hammer and a nodder. Jesus um, Christ. yeah, I was like blown away when he told me that. I mean, you can hear it too. Like, like we, we ran the, the audio in our, in our own podcast at the lever, um, where I was just like, you've been taking out your own teeth. Like, Holy shit, man. I, I, I just did not expect to hear that. Um, really, really didn't. And, you know, he showed me, he pulled down his mask. He showed me uh, the state of his mouth. And, like, I, I fucking believe him, honestly. Um, but he wasn't the only, you know, there are other people there who just talked about, like, living in constant pain um, and just not being able to, to get their teeth treated. Like, this one guy said that he was uh, told he, by an oral surgeon he was on social security disability told by an oral surgeon he had to get all of his teeth removed because they're all they're all rotted and um it was going to cost three thousand dollars he's just like i don't have three thousand dollars like not with the amount of money he's pulling in on on social security disability he just doesn't have that kind of money so instead he's living in constant pain you know he was saying like my teeth hurt every day and it's so it's a real dilemma there right he's like i don't have the money and my teeth hurt every day um so if not for this clinic he he would not have known what to do. Joe Manchin's driving around in a Maserati and um, scolding these people, saying that you know what we can't afford to take care of you, even though if we did, you'd probably uh, be more productive. You know, make more money. I don't know. It's it's just so yep. sadistic and cruel. The, the cruelty is the point, as they say. Well, I know uh, The Lever is constantly producing impact journalism. I subscribe to it. I encourage everybody else to. Has there been any reaction from Joe Manchin or his supporters to this piece? I mean, not that not that I've heard. Um, you know, I did see some local West Virginia organizations, uh, you know, promoting it a bit on Twitter. But, um, you know, honestly... Shit, it was it was it's been a big news week. I think uh, the the news cycle this week lasts like six minutes at best. Uh, like, and that's well until today. That that might be a little different today. Um, but so you know, I think this story did really well. We it had a good reception with our readers. Um, but no, we did not hear anything out of Joe Manchin. Um, and you know, I will say he was in the district like that 
that week, right? He w- he was at home um, because he was doing some events at home. Congress was on recess. Like he could have been there. He could have been at this event. Well, uh, we know you're going to keep beating his ass, so that's good. <laughs> so, Andrew, you want to you want to help us throw someone in the garbage can? Should we do this? Oof. Yeah, I mean, garbage can really intern insane. for a day, Andrew Perez. <laughs> Interns, bring out the garbage can. Not sure if you can smell it all the way uh, up in Maine, Andrew, uh, but it is stinky as hell. Yep. Dear God. Turns right this way. Who are we? Who are we tossing? Well, we've got a few, few garbage candidates this week to discuss. Uh, uh, on your behalf, we have gone ahead and made our uh, first two garbage candidates the subjects of some of your reporting. So garbage candidate number one is Leonard Leo himself, the founder of this judicial crisis network and then what's developed into these other right-wing funding sources for the judiciary. And if we throw them in the garbage can, it will be called the Pudicial Crisis Network because (laughs) there is a lot of dog shit in there this week, folks. And we also have garbage candidate number two, Joe Manchin, uh, who uh, was the target of your your piece that we just spoke about. As you said, he could have been at this clinic. He could have been there. He could have not uh, uh, defeated uh, progressive legislation to bring more help to people. He can't base his whole career on being a shithead, but uh, he is. So uh, he's nominated. Not sure who uh, who you think should get the... The uh, canning out of those two. I think we should also nominate uh, Nancy Pelosi for her vote harder shtick uh, after the Supreme Court ruling, especially considering she spent the last several months campaigning for Henry Cuellar. And she also read a poem. She loves doing this thing where she reads poems to express how she feels about the the situation. And uh, it was a poem from an Israeli poet (laughs) about Israel, which like... I guess like the content of the poem was sort of like, oh man, my country is not good, which is like insofar as Israeli poetry is concerned, you could probably do a lot worse. But I don't know. It just, it it, it was grating in my opinion. So I think we can nominate Clarence Thomas for uh, his opinion in uh, the gun case yesterday and also his uh, concurring opinion in Dobbs, in which he says we need to go after contraception and same-sex marriage as well. Surprisingly, he did not uh, propose invalidating his own marriage, which some people were expecting that he would. And, you know, maybe he's still privately thinking about it. And uh, finally, let's throw one more in there that doesn't have to do with uh, the ruling today or the Supreme Court. Stacey Abrams, for uh, her tweets on Thursday, calling for more funding for police, more pay for police. Quote, law enforcement are often paid less than the living wage, and that is wrong. We must raise pay for officers and address violent crime as we work to build community trust and foster law enforcement accountability. So we got Abrams, we got Thomas, we got Pelosi, we've got Manchin, we've got uh, Leo, we've got Leonard Leo. Where do you, what are your instincts? Where are your instincts telling you to go here, Andrew? I mean, 
think you gotta i think it's really gotta be leo i was thinking the same thing yeah 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 you know the truth is it's you know like it's he's done a job you kind of got to be jealous of like in terms of like uh success when you you know look at all if you if you've ever followed democratic politics like it's just uh just a complete mess at all times right they're they're just doing their their best uh washington generals interpretation just (laughs) completely um you know just losing happily um and you know so you gotta you gotta be a little a little jealous that they've um you know they set out to accomplish a goal and actually did it but jesus christ is it evil it is a purely evil thing that they've done and a lot of people are going to die because of it yeah, I mean, I, we we could throw in Clarence Thomas for running, but you're right. Let's go to the source, the money, where uh, where where this court is deriving a lot of its power from, and that would be Mr. Leonard Leo and his and his network of donors. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they set out to fundamentally rewrite our laws, and they are accomplishing it. Leonard Leo, you are going in the garbage can. There it is. He's in the garbage can. Dark money, uh, dark garbage can, because we have slammed the lid on you, bud, and we are sealing it with dog shit. Andrew Perez is the senior editor and reporter at Lever News. Follow him at Andrew Perez DC. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for your support and for listening. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.